Chris Lee, Billy Derrick, and Luke Wyatt here. We are the Vandy Sports Podcast. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. We thank our sponsors, Wash House, the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company, Sutherland and Belk, and the Maynard Nexon Government Contacts Group for making this possible. And as always, we start with our news. Our news is presented by my good friend Steve Andrews at the Wash House, just one of the best people I know. He is our presenting sponsor for basketball season and a longtime Vanderbilt fan. I don't know about you guys, but time is an obstacle for me. And if you're dreading laundry day, and if it's stealing time from the things you enjoy, let the professionals at Wash House take care of that for you. With two convenient locations in the greater Nashville area, just drop off your dirty laundry, and our professional attendants can give you back the one thing you can never have enough of, your time. Uh, I could use more time. Within 24 hours, you can pick up your nicely folded, fresh, and clean laundry ready to be put away. Check out washhouseclean.com. Stop in today and get your time back. Okay, the news that Wash House is presenting is this. The non-conference basketball schedule is out, and Joey Dwyer's got a, a brief thing up on our YouTube channel where he talks about the schedule. If you have not heard it, here it is. Vanderbilt opens with Presbyterian on Tuesday, November the 7th. Then it goes USC Upstate, UNC Greensboro, Central Arkansas, all those at home. It then goes to Vegas for a game against NC State, and then either BYU or Arizona State. Then comes the ACC-SEC Challenge, Vanderbilt and Boston College, November the 29th. That's in Nashville. That's kind of a late-night game at 8-15. Central Alabama AM. So the Commodores face Alabama AM on the hardwoods and the gridiron. We'll get into the football game in just a minute. San Francisco and Nashville. That's an NCAA tournament team from, I think, a couple years ago. Then the USLBM Coast to Coast Challenge. That's Texas Tech in Fort Worth, followed by Western Carolina and a return trip to Memphis, of course, to balance out that home game in Nashville to open last season. So that's your basketball schedule. We're still over two months out from that, but it'll be here before we know it. Okay, the topics on today's show, as well as this season's baseball content, are presented by the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company. That's a family-owned third-generation milk and ice cream distribution company located in Murfreesboro. My friend Davis Young uh, is the guy that runs that company. It's a partnership that began over 50 years ago with Purity Dairy in Nashville to provide purity milk and ice cream to consumers in Middle Tennessee. They serve Southern Kentucky, Northern Alabama, Chattanooga, and North Georgia today. They go to convenience stores, grocery stores, other places. They also do Mayfield, Nestle, and Haagen-Dazs. But guess what, guys? My fridge right now is stocked with purity ice cream. And I I think I'm going to try everything. But I'm going to make some recommendations because you guys know I love my ice cream, so you can take me seriously on this. Have you guys had the Moose Tracks from Purity? Oh, the Moose Tracks is the best. Yes, I have. Okay. Have you had the Turtle Tracks? Yes, I have. Do I, I have not. Kind of guy that eats you, ice you cream. too. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we get along, Luke. Yeah, the, I had well, – I've got both those in my fridge right now. I tried the turtle tracks for the first time. Uh, they are they are pretty darn good. The moose tracks are just flat out amazing, though. Um, yeah, you can't beat the moose tracks. You get those big random chunks of chocolate at the top when, <laughs> when you open those, and uh, I, I might I might or might not skim a few of those off the top and not leave them for the rest of the family. But that'll be our secret. So, I was in any case in the lightning delay. Say so what? I was dreaming about that during the lightning delay. <laughs> yeah, I think we all, we all were. I, I dream about ice cream frequently. And, they had uh, cupcakes for us in the press box, though. Oh, okay. Keep keep bragging. <laughs> those, those are nice, but they're not they're not ice cream. No. I'm going to make a request. Vanable press box. You need to have purity ice cream. Let's let's make that happen. Um, <laughs> an ice cream freezer in there. I mean, that would just that'd be awesome. All right, gentlemen. I don't think Chris would cover it. the game. <laughs> I might not. I might just sit in the back and <laughs> and keep it going. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we could do an ice cream podcast. Trust me, we could do an ice cream podcast. But I think people tuned in for sports today. So let's talk about that. The, the depth chart came out 
on Tuesday. It is exactly the same as the depth chart that we got last week for Hawaii. On down to either Drew Dickey or Walter Taylor at three, although I think it was again listed in the reverse order. I'm going to get y'all's thoughts on the depth chart. I'll start with you, Billy, and then go to Luke. Yeah, I think the big position uh, question mark right now remains the cornerback position. And Chris, I think this was you that put this out, and maybe it was on on the message board. You put out the uh, the split plan time for Tyson Russell and Martell Height, and it was about fifty mm-hmm. fifty, right? So you know, I'm looking at that. You know, I'm not surprised there's not any movement there because they'll probably split fifty fifty again. Um, and B.J. Anderson, I thought played well. Um, yeah, he had a really nice pass deflection. Uh, obviously, all the corners made some mistakes. It's game one. I thought BJ was a bright spot. We didn't see Davion Walker, so that I think that'll be something to, to continue to monitor. He's still uh, where he was last week on the depth chart. I'm looking at that corner spot, and Clark Lee mentioned it in his press conference. He said, you know, we don't w- – w- this is not a read-and-react situation w- with these spots, right? We, before the game starts – we split this time up and say Russell will be in this possession, right? Hyde will be in this possession. So I thought that was interesting because, you know, by the end of the game, you want to have your guys ready to roll to, to win a game. So, but yeah, other than that, that's really what I'm watching right now, Chris, the movement at the cornerback position. Uh, and I was, I'm not surprised to see Hernandez still starting at center, but I'm monitoring that as well. Uh, Hernandez and the offensive line as a whole, as a matter of fact, struggled against Hawaii so and there are guys behind those those starters that you know I think can challenge now I don't I don't know that they will but you know a guy like a guy like a Charlie Clark I think could potentially challenge Leighton Nelson who I think is banged up uh, right now Grayson Morgan so I'm tracking offensive line as well other than that I think everything else you know null and void uh, I think we saw that Davion Davis uh, will, will still be out Darren Agu. Uh, questionable, correct, Chris? Still, so uh, yeah. There's there's been some mixed things on whether he plays against Alabama, and I, I think I'd hold him out, but that's just me. Yeah. So other than that, I'm I'm tracking the cornerback position and the line and the offensive line, Luke, to see uh, what type of movement there is at those spots because those are the spots that that I think struggled the most against Hawaii. Well, I I agree with the offensive line. I think you know we. We talked about the consistency of having those five in practice all during camp. And uh, I think there's three other guys play. I think we played eight offensive linemen the other night, if I'm not mistaken. And of those eight, five got the majority of the snaps. I, I just think you'll see Grayson Morgan. You know, he he didn't play, did he? I never saw him in the game. Uh, nope. If he did, it was special teams. Okay. Well, I, you know, I, I think you may see him if, if there's still troubles continue there. But I, I, that's the only place. Uh, Ugo and Agu are both out. Uh, I think Ugo's out, correct? Ugo is, Clark said, slowly getting back. Okay. So, so I, you know, that's the only thing I worry about is uh, this depth thing we talk about. <clears throat> and I'm not worried about it Saturday. I think Saturday you're going to see the, the blowout that everyone thought you would see against Hawaii, uh, against Alabama A&M. Yeah, I'm checking the offensive line. I'm looking at the snap counts according to Pro Football Focus. And, and guys, again, that's one of the things we say that there's things at the site that you don't get on the podcast. We have snap counts every week at VandySports.com for your premium That's what membership. I was referring to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to go down all that. But snap counts for reserve linemen, it was Gage Pitchford played eight snaps at guard and Kivo Wesley played seven. Wesley was going in on that um, – for the Castillo spot, I believe. And Pitchford would have been going in, I guess, for Ashmore. Ashmore, yeah. And Ashmore graded out as the best offensive lineman, hands down, according to Pro Football Focus, for whatever that's worth. So, yeah, I mean, hey, guys, at least we got a depth chart. Uh, Alabama doesn't have that. So I don't know, I don't know what we make of that. But, um, yeah. First time in 17 years. What in the world, Luke? What what would be behind something like that? I know this is a Vandy podcast, but I'm I'm just very curious your thoughts on that. Certain coaches, they we won't talk about. They have they're paranoid, and they think that anything that any minute detail that may be used against them, 
they stay away from it. If they're not told they have to do something, they don't do it. And he's one of those kind of guys, you know, he just is. Coaches are paranoid? Yeah. <laughs> that one. <laughs> Luke's been around a few of them. Oh, oh. I have I have stories, trust me. Okay. Uh, let me ask you guys this next. We've had a few days to process, sometimes after a few days to process maybe some things pop that we were or more concerned about after a few days, sometimes maybe some things we were concerned about on Saturday night are, are not as big a concern. And I'm going to start with you, Luke. And, and by the way, I think the weirdest thing about this, I swear, if, if all you saw were the press conferences Saturday night and Tuesday, you would think that Vanderbilt lost the game, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and I think, I think a good sign in a lot of ways because I think it points to raised expectations that they were disappointed with the win. Luke, now that you've had a few days to sleep on it, how do you evaluate things? Is there something maybe you're more concerned about um, than you were on Saturday night in, in the verse? And, oh, by the way, if, if you saw the post-game show, uh, Billy and Luke did that. It was 37 minutes. The intention was that that would be an hour and a half. And the intention was that Joey and I would join – we could not because Chili's closed at midnight. Uh, the game didn't start till eight eleven, and then it lasted three and a half hours. And and so all that Chili's, I think, was gracious enough to let you guys go over time. But just going to put that out there: the post game show going forward is going to look different than it did Saturday night. But anyway, Luke, I'll, I'll let you answer this one again first. Well, you know, I've watched the game now twice since I'm obviously watching it live. Uh, first of all, let's, let's give credit. With, let's go to the Hawaii side first. Shager, I mean, I, I don't remember. Ooh. His receivers caught everything he threw. He threw the ball extremely well. I watched – there were a couple plays, especially the Mahoney play, where that was covered as well as you can cover it. The ball was just thrown in a Coke bottle. You know, I, I was not predicting the blowout last week anyway. I felt it would be a two to – I think I predicted 37-21. And it's kind of what it was. We had 14 and 21-point leads that we relinquished. So, therefore, I think that that's basically what the game was. We have just, you know, in Savion Riley, first time he's gotten playing time, you know, he got beat deep. Uh, you know, there was a couple of fourth down plays that they converted, and you got to give them a little credit. So, I'm not my, – my biggest concern coming out of the game was the offensive line's execution. Not the fact that they got physically whipped or anything, just the execution. And I think that was possibly, you know, first game jitters. The O-linemen, personality of O-linemen are different than anybody else on the team. They're the jolly guys. Now, the ones that have the main streak in them are usually the five that are starting. But I think he had some key, some kids out there Saturday night that were like, oh, gosh, we've got the lead. We can take a playoff. You can't do it. And I think that was my only concern. And I think that will be corrected by Coach Blazik this week. I'm glad you gave credit to Hawaii, Luke, because they deserve a ton of credit. Uh, they came over to Nashville and were, were ready to play. Co Coach Chang had a phenomenal plan. And, you know, they, all, they, they could have won that game, right? Clark Lee said after the game, they were, Vanderbilt was fortunate uh, to come away with a win. Hawaii's better. I think they probably make a bowl game this year. They got Stanford on Friday night, I think. And so, you know, that'll be interesting, right, right, to track. I think some Vandy fans might be surprised to see Hawaii go go competing in Stanford at home. So, yeah, number one, credit to Hawaii. Number two, I said last week I expect Vanderbilt to run the ball maybe more than people would expect. I think I underestimated Hawaii's defense. Credit to a lot of, uh, a lot of the push they got. I mean, Vanderbilt's offensive line really struggled. I think that is due more to the, to the struggles of Vanderbilt's offensive line. Uh, I talked about how Vanderbilt, uh, you know, sh should have had more rushing yards, right, in, in the postgame show. Both teams, about 40 rushing yards. You should be out rushing Hawaii, right? So I think that that's, that's the first thing there. Also, penalties. Clark was not happy with the penalties. Not a, not a crazy bad number, but, I mean, eight for 72. Right, that's not uh, not necessarily a recipe uh, to win a game, especially a game of that close. Right, week one, uh, you got to clean it up a little bit there. Uh, other than that, you know, the, the corners we knew. I think going into it, we knew the corners would struggle. Um, you know, Tyson Russell, Anderson, 
height, I thought, got in there and, and did some good things uh, at times. Uh, Luke, you mentioned after the game, you didn't see Trudell Berry. So I think that's something to, to, to continue to track there. I thought another thing, and I know I'm all around the, the, the boat here, but I, I thought the linebackers weren't as dominant as I, as I expected them to be. You know, there were a few lapses in coverage. And after the game, C.J. Taylor, or I think this was in the yesterday at the, at the presser, <clears throat> C.J. Taylor talked about how they, they saw some plays from Hawaii that weren't on film. So, again, credit to, to Timmy Chang in Hawaii for, for, for fighting and, and scratching and clawing uh, you know, for for their their homeland and Clark, they, this team knew Hawaii was was gonna, you know, come out and be ready to play. Right, Derek, you're right. After the game, I think uh, somebody asked him, "Did you guys underrate Hawaii? Right? Did you guys kind of sleep on Hawaii?" He said, "No, no. We we knew we knew Hawaii was gonna come in and challenge us. So, again, not su- not not uh, stunned by anything, but a, a little surprised uh, by a couple a couple things in this game." Chris, if I could jump in for just a second. Um, you had Gavin Schoenwald on, and he made an interesting comment. I think you asked him about the delay and who it affects more, and I am, I've been through them. It affects the home team more. I've been through them on the road, and, and the reason why, you know, the coaches aren't in there monitoring you. They'll just tell you, get off your feet, relax, do whatever you want to do. But kids will get some more food in them. They get sluggish. Now, if you're in an enclosed environment like Hawaii was, they, the coaches can sit there and look at everything they're doing. And they know, okay, stretch it out. Let's do a little stretch in here. Or do what, you know. Whereas the players are all over the place. They can walk all over Magoogan. It, I, the Temple game, I hate to go back to that, but that was the lightning delay game. We obviously played poorly in that. You go back to two or three that I remember in my history, and they've always been worse at home. Interesting. Um, yeah, and by the way, if people are wondering, where did you have Gavin on? That's on my SEC site, Southeastern 14. So it's, that's not something that appears on Vandy Sports. But Gavin's kind of been a co-host for me over there with the daily show we're doing from 10 to – or excuse me, from 11 to noon there. Luke, I want to ask you something. Vanderbilt went basically to a two-corner, four-safety look. If you count C.J. Taylor as a safety – Probably, I don't know, sometime in the second quarter. I, I think it continued to some degree, and I think at one point they went back to four down linemen. But I'm very curious as to how that looks going forward. I think we thought they'd have more depth on defensive line. Now, look, they're without Christian James, who's probably in that top five or six lineman on the team group. They're without Darren Agu, who is debatably their most talented defensive lineman, and so that's something to ponder. But I'm very curious how their looks are going forward. Do we see more of that 6DB thing that they showed, or I wonder if that was just a dealing with the Hawaii offense kind of look? No, I think it's it, it was uh, because of the type of offense we were playing. When you play against the run and shoot, you know, get just a standard four-man rush – the way we started the game, you're hardly ever going to get there. You're not going to, you know, we got three sacks. That's actually pretty good against the run and shoot. That it's all deter- the ball is like boom, 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 get it out of there. So I don't think you'll see that unless you're facing a team that throws the football a lot. We won't be in dime that much. I think you'll see more of how we started the game. Uh, I'm I'm not sure uh, Alabama A and M. We don't have any film on them yet. I'm not sure what they do, but I don't think you'll see it near as much unless they just sling it all over the yard too. It, it, it's more predicated on what the, the offense is doing. I want to guess, ask you guys both something, because I've been on record. I said coming in, by far my biggest concerns were pass defense at the corner spots. I think you saw that play as a concern. And, and the run defense, I was kind of the one that said, I'm not the run defense, the, the, run, the rush offense, the running right. back position. I was more concerned about that, I think, than both of you guys are. Billy, I'll start with you. Where are you on on their pass defense and their rush offense at this point? <clears throat> yeah, pass defense, same place I, I was. Um, we we just we knew. I, I think I, I and Luke, you said it. We, I think we both said it. Hawaii's going to score, right? We, we knew Hawaii was going to put up points. So I haven't really shifted uh, on on where Vanderbilt is at the cornerback position. Maybe a little bit on B.J. Anderson. I, that that play and Luke, you mentioned this in the post game. That deflection. Uh, I think it was in the fourth quarter, just about saved the game. <laughs> I yeah. mean, Hawaii, they they tie the game if they score there. Right. So 
massive play by B.J. Anderson, and he's gotten better. I think he flashed at times last season as well. So if I had to pick a player that would be most improved uh, going off of one game, I, I might go Anderson against Hawaii. Hyatt and Barry, there's just, I mean, a 50-50 split. You know, we know Barry struggled. Uh, or not Barry, uh, Russell, Hyatt and Russell. We know Russell struggled. Uh, but Martel Hyatt, I think, obviously will continue to slowly get to play more. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. For the uh, rushing offense, yeah, Chris, I was uh, I was pretty surprised. I, I was just surprised more so by the offensive line, the lack of push. Um, also, pass protection at, struggled at times. Uh, I think they pass protection w- was was good. I didn't think it was it was bad by any stretch, but they obviously they had their moments. But I mean, coming into this game, Chris, I thought Vanderbilt was going to be able to impose their will whenever they wanted to, right? Be able to to run the ball in the fourth quarter when you had to. And they weren't able to do that. And Clark said it after the game. We've got to be able to run the ball when we have to run the ball. And that's that's the sign of a team that's still growing in their identity. I think at times, and I told you this in the booth, Chris, a lot of the handoffs just looked – I don't know if this is this, – this isn't a word, but unsmooth. And obviously it's game one, but whether it's a, a hitch in the handoff from Swan or uh, the running back uh, just not getting into a, a rhythm – Right. And, and, and that's game one. You know, you're, you're, you're going to see some of that, but, and it'll, it'll get better. But yeah, Chris, I, I was, I was surprised uh, by the, the lack of, of, uh, you know, physical runs too. There were, weren't really, you know, you saw the run from Patrick Smith. And then I think Gillespie had, but I think that was even a catch out of the backfield. So yeah, you just, there was no, there was no mauling and imposing the will, uh, you know, on, on, on Hawaii from Vanderbilt. And, you know, I'm looking for them to establish that against Alabama A&M because they they should be able to. And if they can't against Alabama A&M, you got a serious problem. Um, let me say this about first of all our opponent this week. They do some. I do know this much about them. They'll do some strange stuff where the defensive line will stand up, linebackers will move into the hole and gap, and you don't have anything anybody to block. You just stand there and you're not sure who to block. <laughs> They try to confuse you. So that's going to be something to watch early in the game. They do a lot of gimmicky stuff. Is this the run and shoot defense? <laughs> it may be. That's a good way of describing it. You know, I, when you're undersized and that type of thing and maybe under talented, you do anything you can to confuse the offense. And that, I think you may see a little bit of that. But quickly, the offensive line, again, I think it was more execution than anything. I think they felt like last year we mauled this team on the ground. It was a totally different situation, guys. And and our guys, you know, we had – I don't want to call out names on this, but we had a couple of guys that I thought just played poorly, period. Yeah. It, it didn't matter who we were playing Saturday. They would have been – they would have graded out poorly. And I don't think – I think you'll – I think they're, they will have – that was an attention getter. And uh, this – it will be corrected this by Saturday. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add this real quick too. Sometimes you mentioned you just play bad, right? You play poorly. Yeah. I, I agree. Look, there was a lot of that. Guys, I still think they're going to have a freshman starting at running back by November. Is anybody with me on that one? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Although we didn't see a ton of those those freshmen, which I was I was no. a little surprised by, but they didn't Barely run the ball saw them time. both. Yeah, Newberry didn't play, and Alexander, which I wasn't surprised that Newberry didn't play. He's at fourth, probably. I mean, they didn't put him on the depth chart, but in my mm-hmm. mind, after watching fall camp, he's their fourth back. And Alexander only got two carries for for three yards. So it's not like he was great either, but he didn't have a lot of chances. Right. I'll say this too, Chris, and Luke and I talked about this in the post game. Uh, Logan Kyle's little end around, right? And I think somebody in the booth said compared it to a Brock Bowers type of you know play where they involve their tight end of the run game. I think that's something to watch because Kyle Clark has talked about he's got receiver speed. I'm not saying Kyle's going to go for fifty or 50, sixty yards on one of those, but I think you get in the red zone and and if but you you also have to have have an established run game at that point. So you get the run game going first, and then you can start to involve Logan Kyle as well. We saw Jade McGowan at the running back position, so I think they're they're looking for somebody to really take hold of that position. Uh, you're right, Chris. I, I think I think a, a a freshman or somebody somebody's going to have to step up, right? Whether it's a freshman, uh, Gillespie, Smith, whoever. Maybe McGowan starts to get more carries, but I think they're I think they're. They're searching for uh, for some some answers there at running back, just like just like corner. Go ahead, Luke. Uh, 
the one thing, and and some of our older fans will remember this. This offense reminds me a little bit of the '82 team that couldn't run the ball as far as just traditional hands off handoffs. Their running game really was part of the passing game, where you just short passes out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. Players are throwing it to them at the line of scrimmage. You let them make a, a move and go. I think that's what you're going to see out of this running game until they get someone established who can who's doing both blocking and running the football well. I think that was part of the problem the other night. No one really did anything consistently after the first drive when Patrick Smith had the 20-yard run or whatever it was for the touchdown. They were all making busts and mistakes. And and that, when you do that, you kind of just go away from it. And I think that's what we did. Okay, I want to ask you guys this. This is a game coming up that Vanderbilt should win handily, I would say 30 points or more. Uh, I want to get a sense of what you guys are looking for in these games, and, and I'll start with Billy in a minute after I give you my thoughts. Here's my thing. When I perceive something as a weakness, I watch for that. Again, we saw issues with pass coverage, with run defense, and I don't think that necessarily you'll learn a lot by blowing Alabama AM out of the water. But I think what you do learn – is if you can't do the things that we're concerned about against a team like that, then you've really got problems. So, like, in my mind, if they're averaging under five yards a rush on Saturday, taking sacks out of it, if they're still getting burned at corner, I think those are still – I mean, I think yes. they're concerns anyway, but I think I'm more concerned at that point. So that's that's kind of what I'm watching for, the things that did not go well – against Hawaii. Do those show up again against Alabama A&M? Those are what I'm watching for. Billy, I'll get your opinion on what you're looking for and then Luke. Yeah, I uh I agree with you, Chris. You know, if they're if they're giving up nearly four hundred total yards to an Alabama AM, you know, that, that that's a serious problem. Uh also time of possession. Hawaii won time of possession 31 31 35 to Vanderbilt's 28 25. And again, I know that that's a stat that people probably overrate, but I think that's there's something to be said about that. Hawaii had some long drives where you know they would convert, and you know they saw and they ran the ball decent at times. I, I thought they had some big runs on some big third and fourth downs, uh, mostly third downs, I think. So time of possession, Vanderbilt should own time of possession uh, against Alabama A and M. Secondly. The running game, I mean, it's as simple as that, right? You should be able to dominate Alabama A&M. They are an FCS program, and you know about, you know, the Vanderbilt's history, at least recent history against FCS teams. Clark will have this team motivated. It's a huge get-right game, right? I think there's all, you know, after the game, the players, coaches, everybody, no one was happy, right? And I think you made, you made a good point, Chris, how, you know, you would have thought watching the press conferences – that they might have lost that game, right? Because of just how how down everybody was, and it's easy to tell when Clark, right? When 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 Clark's not happy, you know, you you, you know. So and, and and the team wasn't happy either. The team felt the same way. So that's sort of the silver lining here. They know they didn't play well. They didn't finish the game. They've got it. They've got another another opponent to go fix it before they go up to Winston Salem. So this is a huge week. It's a huge week for film. You mentioned this after in the post game. Luke, you would love to, you'd love to be a fly in the wall this week, uh, you know, in, in the film room. I'd love to as well, just to see these got they've got a lot of things to correct. Um, so, yeah, passing just just like you, Chris. That how how do the, do the, what adjustments do they make at corner? Right? Do they switch at all? Right? Do they switch height or or Russell's playing time at all? Does that does that fluctuate? Uh, do, do we see Trudell Berry? Right? Are the corners more physical? Do they play more press because the cushion was a little shocking at times, you know, a 15, 20 yard cushion and, you know, automatic first down for, for Hawaii. So yeah. How, what adjustments do they make at corner? And then can Vanderbilt just dominate in the run game, right? Win this game on the ground. That that's what I'm looking for this week against A&M. Well, I'll look at, first of all, if you take one word and describe this game, it was sloppy. And that's something that you can, Correct. So that's as a coach, you wake up on Sunday morning, and you feel a little better because you think, OK, we didn't get whipped. We just mentally weren't great. And physically, we didn't give the effort we should. 
and we still got away with it with a win. So sloppy would be my one word to describe this past Saturday. Secondly, you know, the time of possession thing I'm not worried about because you, you have to factor in the kickoff return. That's an extra possession, really, that Hawaii gets. So that makes up for the difference there. You know, Jaden McGowan going 97 on one play. Right. I, I feel like this coming week, it, it, you're, you're right. I think, you know, you're looking at a 45 to 14, 45 to 17 type game. And I, I think you'll see a lot more guys play. I think that's one thing Clark wasn't happy about. I think, and Chris, you probably have this in front of you, you and Billy. Uh, I think we played maybe 24, 25 guys on defense, 20 guys, 21 guys on offense. That needs to be more like 30 and 25. And I, I think uh, when the – of course, injuries have something to do with that. But I think you're going to see a lot more kids get chances this weekend because moving into Wake Forest, that depth chart we talked about, whether they change it for you guys and us, it's going to be different when we get to Wake Forest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, to answer that question, Luke, they played 21 guys on offense and 22 on defense. Now, again, one thing I want to circle back on is the Trudell Berry situation. They played three guys at corner. Anderson went the entire way at one corner, and then you got a virtual 50-50 split between Hyde and Russell at the other. I don't know if Barry was hurt in the doghouse, if they just trusted Anderson, but I thought that we'd see him. If you say they're going to play, what, 40, 43 guys on offense and defense, I would have thought Trudell Barry would have been in there somewhere. Did he yeah. play? I think Luke he cut off. might have. Yeah, he asked about special teams. Did he play special teams? That's that's what I thought. Uh, Pro Football Focus did not have these special teams grades up as of yesterday. I, I didn't check it this morning on Wednesday morning, but I do have Vanderbilt's participation report, and he's not in there at all. Uh, okay. So I don't know. No, sometimes they miss some things. That's from the box score from from Saturday night. Uh, if you guys have ever been in a press box trying to, to spot those things. It's easy to miss some things, but the participation report didn't have him on there. He's certainly not on the defensive snap count chart at PFF, and, and the special teams, again, is is I hadn't checked it as of 24 hours ago. so Or I had checked it and it wasn't up. Let me say this. What happens a lot of times, guys, on game day, and if you guys don't ask about it at the press conference, and I'm not saying Trudell did this. I'm just giving you an example of what happens a lot. If someone was late for something on Friday, a meeting or a, a lifting session, a lot of times if they were borderline going to play anyway, then they don't play. And, then, and the, you're never going to hear about it because the coach isn't going to bring it up in the press conference. He's going to let you bring it up. Why did Trudell Berry not play? And it's usually something like that sometimes, especially with a young kid. Uh, they, it's, some, it's more of a discipline thing than anything. Yeah, and I, I should have brought that up on, on Tuesday. And, and it was in the back of my head, but I, I never did bring it up. It's interesting, too, Chris. We, we've we talked one more thing on this. I know we got to get to a lot of mailbag questions, but, you know, Jeffrey Ugo, uh, Steven Sanianiola, uh, Trudell Berry, you know, those guys in the 2022 class, we, we just haven't really seen. I know they're banged up. I, I know that. Um, but that, that's something to continue to track throughout this season. What kind of impact can they make, right, if any, right? Are they able to get back healthy? Because I think that's sort of an X factor this season. Can Santa Aniola, Ugo, and Barry come back and make an impact? And even a guy like Quantavis Gaskins, Jamo Wharton, right? Those guys are all out. I mean, you know, so that, that that's something that I think has contributed to the lack of depth in the secondary. I mean, they're just, they just haven't been able to be out there. So I think that's another thing to watch down the stretch of the season. If they're able to come back, I think that potentially helps the room. Now they're young, right? But just in terms of pure depth, uh, I think that's something to track. Billy, let's grab the mailbag and let's do this. I'll let, we'll all give our takes on the question. I'll let you give yours first, followed by Luke, and then I'll wrap up if I've got any thoughts that you guys didn't hit. But let's go ahead and go there. Let's do it, and it's brought to you by Sutherland and Belk, the long-lasting sponsor of AndySports.com. Uh, John Sutherland, of course, everybody knows him, of course, uh, in, in this community, and family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt 
or in an accident, give Taylor Russell a call at 615-846-6200 to see what your rights are and if they can help. Also, John Levin and the Mater Nexon Government Contracts Group. Mater Nexon advises a government contractor's on all aspects of their business with a proud focus on matching legal solutions to business needs. The group can be reached at 256-551-0171. Again, thank you to both of those sponsors for attaching their name here to the mailbag and this podcast. All right, let's get to the first question here. Yesterday at about 4.30, soon after you put this, uh, th- this request up on the board, Chris, Forever Gold. While I'm thankful for the win, we all agree that there were several disappointing performances Saturday night. Some expected, some unexpected. In y'all's opinion, what would be the most important thing, position, or player that has to have the most improvement from Saturday for this team to achieve its goals by season end? Luke, we'll start with you. Offensive line as a whole just must improve with their execution and uh, willingness to step up and make plays and, you know, just do your job. Sounds simple, but that's basically what it was because when I watched the two replays, you could just see it was more just mental bust than anything. Yeah, Luke Luke hits on a, a good thing. I, I do think that, again, some of the running game is I'm not crazy about their, their backfield, and that's part of it too. But I think the line was maybe more to blame on that one. To, to me, the biggest thing, still my biggest concern coming into – the opener and my biggest concern leaving the opener because I think I, I've seen the line play better that other corner spot. Uh, I do think B.J. Anderson's a little better than people are giving him credit for being. And I'm not trying to pick on on Tyson Russell here or Martel Height. Um, and, of course, Height was playing his first game, and I thought I actually did okay in that circumstance. But, guys, if, if they can't cover from that other corner spot, Teams are going to go to it over and over and over and over again. And so I want to see improvement out of out of both corners, but particularly that that other one. Yeah, I, most important, that's a tough aspect. But judging off of the Hawaii game, I might go offensive line because if you can't protect A.J. Swan, and, and, and I'm not saying they didn't protect A.J. Swan, but if you can't allow your run game to get established, you know, Vanderbilt's going to struggle to, to win. Right against any SEC team, uh, corner as well. Right, I mean we 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 know uh, the, the struggles at that position, um, but yeah, I mean at offensive line you can't you can't block. You're not going to be able to run the ball. That means you're not going to be able to establish. And then they got it's harder for you know for you to even get the passing game going. All right, let's get to Sr Kane. We may learn more about our team from the Hawaii Stanford game than our game this week. Thoughts? I, I think. <laughs> That's a good. Uh, that's a good observation, and I, I mentioned that earlier, right? I think Hawaii can go and beat Stanford. They get them at home, right? That place is going to be packed. They're calling it the whiteout for Hawaii. Stanford is down, like very down. Uh, Coach Shaw is no longer there. Uh, he he ended up retiring. So, you know, I I might agree with that. Although I think we're going to learn a little bit more about the response of this team, right, against Alabama A and M and how they can finally dominate an opponent because I think they will. And if they don't, there's some serious issues. But what do you guys think about that? It, learn more about our team from Hawaii Stanford than our game this week. No, I, I agree with that. I think you will learn a lot. Now, what I want to see if his Whitlock plays out of his head like he did the other night. Now, that kid, I guess he's the transfer from Kansas, the receiver for Hawaii. He McBride. was right. I, I'm right. As yeah. deep as we are in receiver, I would love to put him in our receiver group. A kid ran excellent routes, nothing hit the ground. He caught everything thrown to him. Uh, if he has that type of game, he and Shager are, are, are hooking up again. Stanford will be in trouble. Hawaii will win that game. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a great observation. It's one that I already had in the back of my head and by the way I looked this up guys I was very interested to see what Vegas thought and I believe that Stanford is only a seven point favorite against why is it used we'll say what three and a half yeah wow didn't it start up around nine started at six and a half so the first time I saw it okay at it Saturday night or Sunday and I can't remember I think Sunday and it, it's now three and a half that's interesting because I think, you know, it, it came down at, at various points on the Vanderbilt game, too. I think it was maybe 
17 and a half. I think at some point it dropped maybe in the 16. So that's two straight weeks. I don't know what people up there know about Hawaii or, or whatever the case is, but that that's interesting that that's, that means on a neutral field, it's a pick them. That's yeah. Hawaii is a good football team. I mean, okay. they're, they're yeah. Offensively. Yeah. And we're seeing more and more of that around college football where offensively, this is a good team, but defensively they got some issues, right? That's becoming a theme uh, around the country and, and honestly in the sport of football as well. All right. Hogan knows. Does Luke think homegrown talent like we are getting now, Cheryl, Humphreys, Patterson, is more invested in the program than, say, a player from out of state? Luke? I, I wouldn't say more invested, but I, what I do say is this. It helps us. The more we get, the more we will get. So I, I just I'm excited about. It. I can remember all the kids like a Hunter Hillenmeyer, who was local, who was honored the other night. He helps you recruit in the Nashville area, and that's the main thing. You know, the the connection that Clark has with the NBA. It's not just NBA that helps. It, it not just helps us with NBA. It helps us with all the other local private schools and some of the public schools. I know we're going after a kid from Pearl Cone. Uh, and some of the other places, you know, we have a kid that starts from Laverne. The more of those kids you can get homegrown, absolutely, it does help. All right, let's get to VU Matt 23. Can you all give some thoughts about how you think each of their corner spots will change over the course of the next few games? I know we've talked about this, but just kind of a final, maybe, I guess, projection here. Tyson Russell started but ended up having one less snap than Martell Height. Whereas BJ Anderson got every snap at the other corner spot and Trudell Berry got zero. So, Luke, well, Chris, we'll start with you here. If you had to project how the corner spots might end up, I know this isn't an easy job, but, you know, that, that's a question that a lot of people have. I said before the end of camp, I thought Martel Height was the most talented cornerback on the roster. I thought it was very clear. I also said that. Sometimes there's a learning curve that comes with that. To me, the fact that against a pass-heavy offense, they went to a virtual 50-50 split. I, I don't see Martell Height seeding any time. I, I think he'll be starting probably before too long. There'll be some bumps that go with that. I think that they have been higher on B.J. Anderson than, than the public has been for a while, even back to last year. Um, I think that BJ gets picked on a little bit by the fan base, a little bit unfairly. Billy, you pointed out, or I think it was you, maybe it was Luke. He made a, a really nice play. I, mm -hmm. I think BJ Anderson played okay. Um, you know, and again, Luke, as you pointed out, Hawaii made some tremendous catches where the coverage was there and they just made the plays. So I think that's the thing I'm watching is what happens at that other corner spot. I think height will end up winning the majority of the snaps there. And, and maybe that's coming very soon if we don't see an improvement this weekend. All right. BU 65. Why are our corners another corner question playing so far off the receivers at the snap? It appears they make it even more difficult to cover the short passes. Is our talent so bad? We can't keep up with the receivers of teams like Hawaii. We'll start with that first part. Luke, I mean, did you notice an extra, you know, too much cushion? I know that was a big talking point in the in the Coach Mason era. Um, I don't know that I noticed it too much. I noticed it a couple times, but what did did you notice anything there? Uh, at times, but usually that's when we're we have them backed up. Let's say if they're at the twenty five or twenty, they're on twenty or twenty five. You'll play that cushion because you're not, you know, it's okay that they move the chains a couple of times then you change it as they start getting closer to your goal line. That's just most football teams do that. And then the second part there, Chris, is our talent so bad we can't keep up with the receivers of teams like Hawaii? I mean, I think I think that's 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 a question to be answered, right? I mean, Vanderbilt, right, they could have played better, and a lot of it Clark has mentioned, and he mentioned this yesterday, a lot of those errors in the secondary are, are coachable and correctable. Right, Savion Riley late in the game, big play. Right, he's a young kid. He didn't he didn't get up at the line and get physical enough. I think I, I forget the exact wording from Clark Lee, but there are things early in the route you can do as a corner 
to to end up potentially winning the route and giving your giving yourself a better chance at winning the route at the end. Clark talks about that all the time. So Clark says they're coachable and correctable. Chris, do you, do you agree, or, or do you think that points to a, a lack of talent at corner? Okay, if you've been a longtime listener to the podcast, you heard me saying this during the Mason days. They are not recruiting talent at corner. They, they just did not bring in a lot of good corners for, for years. They brought in Jawan Williams. Um, probably didn't hurt that he was dating the coach's daughter. Uh, that that probably gave him a little bit of, of, of an edge there. They did develop Trey Herndon, but other than that, it was pretty bleak. And so that's the lot that Clark Lee inherited. The first class, he wasn't going to be able to do a lot about. The second class, and I wrote about this this week, they went very defensive back heavy. Very defensive back heavy. I think they signed nine guys at the time that were defensive backs, although I think Daniel Martin might have been the linebacker. Of course, he's now gone. But you add Davon Walker to that room now. He was recruited as a receiver. And I'm not throwing stones at the coaching staff here necessarily, but none of those guys really made much of an impact uh, at corner. I, I think you did see Riley at safety, and, and he played okay. But I, my, my guess in their heart of hearts is when they signed all those guys in the winter of 2022, I think that they – if you had said, hey, let's look forward to opening night 2023 – what do you think is going to happen? I think they would have said, and, and Luke, you can you can expand on this because I would love to hear your thoughts. My guess is they would have thought that that class would have made a bigger impact in the secondary than it did. Now, a lot of that's injury. Three or four of those guys have been hurt. Don't know what was going on with Barry. But I think this was maybe – I don't think that you can have an expectation of Vanderbilt that you have three or four impact-level defensive backs as true freshmen. But maybe year two is when you can start to have some expectations. And to me, that was – that's been a miss for whatever reason at this point. Well, let's talk about technique for just a second. Not to get that I'm Coach Wyatt, but just watching all the football that I've seen in over the last 40 years. You can, you can watch these kids, and let's just take Tyson Russell, for example. In practice, he's doing the right things. In other words, what Clark was talking about when you come off the line of scrimmage, you've got that free hand to punch with a little bit to kind of knock him off the route. That's the type of thing. That's what he was talking about with BJ. They do that stuff in practice. It's just when the lights come on and you're going against possibly, instead of a scout team guy that's giving you the look for Hawaii, that kid's running a 4-7, the Hawaii receiver's running a 4-4-5. So if you don't make the – if you skip steps – and don't make that jab and let him have a free run off the line of scrimmage. That's how you get, that's how they get behind you. There's nothing else you can do. So it's all about sticking to your technique. All right, let's get to Vandy 34. How good is the food and nutrition program now? Obviously, I mean, it's much improved, right? The, the, the number of, of staff members in general has, has increased. Clark talked about, he gave credit to the the, the nutrition program uh, for keeping Vanderbilt and, and and their team, you know, ready to play in in the almost nearly two hour long delay. Uh, they deserve credit, Chris. We've been at fall camp. Uh, I think yellow yellow shirts, green shirts, right? I mean, the, there's there's staff members everywhere, um, and and even you know walking through. There's all kinds of different options, you know, whether it's snacks or drinks, just just all kinds of options for, for the players. And again, I don't know as much as I should probably, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's top notch, top of the line and, and good enough for Clark to give credit uh, to them after, after the game. Yeah, the, uh, the nutrition factor now is so different. When I first started working at Vanderbilt, you don't see kids now walking into practice with a bag of McDonald's or a pizza. You don't see it anymore. They're eating a, uh, a yogurt bar or whatever it may be, or yeah. a lot of smoothies, stuff like that, which is great. So, and then they're being reminded constantly, Hey, you know, you're, you cause they get weighed in every day, except for maybe like Sunday or Monday. So they weigh every day to monitor what, uh, if they're doing eating what, what they should be. Eating. And uh, so you're able to stay on top of it. And Clark's right. You know, we didn't cramp up the other night. I think we have mm-hmm. one 
CJ Taylor went down one time. But besides that, I think Hawaii like five or six. That's why the second half took so long. Billy, you went to a bunch of practices with me. And you remember when we would walk down from our, our perch on that balcony there where they had us, and we would walk down to the playing surface. We would go down the stairs, and we'd walk through that hallway. What did we see every practice? Uh, the I mean, I, I remember the, the multitude of snack options down there. Yes. There was a, a smorgasbord. I think that's yeah. a podcast first-time word here. Of, of <laughs> snacks, drinks all kinds of stuff. They had it very well laid out. They had the, I think the training staff wearing yellow. I think they had the nutrition staff wearing green. So if they needed to locate somebody to get somebody quickly eyes on that. And and look, Clark Lee, and I think this was intentional. I I thought it was very interesting that he led off the post-game press conference with thanking the nutrition guys. Because as you guys noticed, there was a lot of cramping going on, and most of that was on the other sideline. Billy, we, we mm-hmm. noticed the other we noticed in practice. One of the observations that I made is I don't think I saw hands on hips or guys bent over gassed at all. Yeah. Through 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 any single fall camp practice. And I think I went to 15 of the 20. I did not notice that once. Now I remember the first year. Now I remember in Mason's years. There was a lot of hands-on hips going on. And mm-hmm. I think year one, year two, maybe there was still some carryover where guys weren't used to it. I remember one particular um, lineman who played a good bit a year ago just throwing up constantly in camp because he just wasn't wasn't there in shape yet. You did not see any of that this year. I don't think it was coincidence that Clark Lee led the post-Hawaii press conference off the way that he did. Yeah, and all the all the little things that you could do as a head coach that that you can control, right? Extra staff members, right? Uh, nutrition staff, conditioning, right? All of that. That is that's not one of the problems, right? Uh, with this program, right? The issues right now at certain positions is just depth and experience, right? But within the within the nutrition staff and the conditioning the weight training, all of those intangibles, I guess you would say, within a coaching staff. Clark has done the right thing there, and and that is, I mean, that's top-notch, top you know, top of the line, uh, their food nutrition program right now. Well, one, right. one other Good. thing Go I ahead. want to bring up, um, towards the end of the Derek Mason era, a lot of the workouts were optional, which is un- unthinkable for an SEC program, perhaps not coincidentally. Uh, they went over the season in 2021, and Luke, you can probably comment on that. But I mean, they had such a long way to go between where they were and where they are now. Well, I think what had happened at that point, you had you had what I call call a toxic locker room, and kids. You know, he, he I think Derek, in his defense, was trying to do everything he could to keep people from leaving uh, because there was stuff going on over there at that time not just in football on that campus that wasn't healthy. And we can't get into the weeds on that, but Chris, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Uh, it was, it was, it was the worst thing. And I think I've said this before, but in case people are new, I was getting so many phone calls that year from people just alarmed about what was going on. I, I just got to the point. I'm like, I don't want to know anymore right. because there's nothing I can do with it. And, like once you hear something, you can't really unhear those things. Uh, and and let me let me tell you, there was. I, I think the thing that bothered me most is Vanderbilt's reaction was not to try to correct mistreatment of things. It was to try to find out who was talking and to silence those people. Yeah. And, and there were threats. There were all kinds of things going on. Uh, that I think what what made me the angriest. Was there? There was. There just wasn't any. It, it was instead of let's let's reflect and see what we can do better. It's no. Let's let's find the people that are talking about this, and, and let's get retribution on those people. That is what Clark walked into. Yep. And that's not happening anymore. So no. that that's that is uh and and you know th- those are the things right. 
Chris, like you just said, he had to change and, and a lot of the, you know, the mental, the mentality, the mindset shift for these players. So to be able to get to a point where this program is upset, visibly upset after winning a game against a solid opponent is, is a sign of growth uh, for this program. It, it, it wasn't too long ago. They were eking by wins over UConn and Colorado State, <laughs> right, at home because hey, of Joe Bulovas. So and and, let, and let me just add add something there. I'm sorry to I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I wanted to get this in before we move on to the next thing. When they beat Colorado State and Connecticut, and I think those were last play of the game type things. I mean, they celebrated like that was the Super Bowl. Yeah. And and you flash forward two years later to where they they didn't blow out a team that was was better than both of them, but they won. It, it felt like they lost that game. And, again, I, I just think that shows you a lot about the shift. Well, and let me add one thing. How many times in Vanderbilt history would Vanderbilt have lost Saturday night? Yes, many. They would have figured out a way when they didn't get the – when the onside kick happened and we got it back or when we had to give it back to them, how many times did the team just take it down the field and score? That 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 tells you they they have advanced. Have they advanced as far as we all want them to? Of course not. But we're in year three of taking a program that he stripped down to these studs and started all over again. And and yeah, and Clark knows that. That's why he said they were fortunate. Yeah, right. They were they were fortunate to win that game. Sure. Chris, we've got one more here from Raiders nineteen sixty seven. Uh, please reevaluate the tight end position. I think Raiders in 1967 loves asking about the tight end position. Uh, we, you know, I mentioned Luke Logan Kyle. You know, he had that that end around uh, carry there. I thought that was a play design you hadn't really seen a, a ton of from Vanderbilt over the last couple of years under Coach Lee. Justin Ball, I don't think had a reception. Chris, am I wrong? And he did one. Okay, he had one. Yeah. Okay, so Ball had one. Other than that, nothing from Cam Cameron Johnson. Uh, I, I don't think. So, Luke, we'll, we'll start with you here. I mean, has has anything changed with the tight end room and, and, and what they might try to do with, with that position this year? No, and I, I don't think you'll you'll see. I think what you saw the tight end position the other night will be what you see moving forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the, at the grade sheet. Neither of those guys graded particularly well. Uh, Kyle graded better than Ball. I, th- I think he's – probably the guy that maybe you're a little bit more concerned about if you're a defense because you saw that end around. You saw that he can do some things with that. I'll say this. I just think that they are able to adjust in other ways. We told you about the depth of wide receiver room. I think you started to see some of that. I think Jaden McGowan's better. Will Shepard is who he is. He's, he's a, a stud. Uh, the Skinner injury will be one I'll monitor. That'll be one thing I, I probably mm. should have mentioned when we said things to watch for Alabama and Alabama A&M. It's, it's whether Quincy Skinner plays or not. But you saw what we told you about in London Humphreys. Uh, Junior Sherrill, you didn't really see a lot of it. Richie Hoskins, you saw it on that end around that he took and broke some tackles and, and did some things there. So, again, my, my contention is that that receiver room is the best room on the team. I think you will see some of those guys – maybe start to eat into some of the tight end reps because I, I think just you have to. Yeah. And also eat into some of the running back reps, like Luke uh, said. Possibly, yeah. Right? I mean, you saw the – London Humphreys, if if he gets a block for, on that end around, that I think it might have been a double reverse, that's a touch – that's six, right? And then I, yeah. I think Cheryl might have slipped on one of his carries – uh, and the blocking wasn't going to be great there. So they're, they're, they're using Humphreys and Cheryl, right, and McGowan in the running game as well. So, so we'll have to monitor that also. My thing is this. You've got to get your best 11 on the field on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 11 is going to come from. I, I'm glad you said that because I want to throw something else in here too. We talk about best 11, and, and I talked about how Bryce Cowan was sort of this year's C.J. Taylor. He didn't pop as much as C.J. did. C.J. just made a ridiculous number of plays. And then they went the first half of the season. They just couldn't find room for him. I'm really interested to see if Bryce Cowan makes a push at some point. Um, and again, I, I think you saw six DBs the other night. He really wasn't even in that group. But that's one I'm watching a little bit is just to see 
how the pieces shift around during the season and if he ends up getting a little more playing time or maybe a lot more playing time than he did on. But now, now the problem is I don't know exactly where to put him because I kind of like their linebackers and you know the, the safeties they played played pretty well to be honest with you. Mahoney maybe didn't play as well as he can, but I trust him. So it's it's kind of a situation where he he can help you. He might be one of the best eleven, but I don't think you can play seven defensive backs either. Yeah, call, call me crazy here, and this this might be out of this world. Is the, if the corners continue that that other corner spot, if they just can't figure it out, right? They're still struggling against Alabama A and M, struggled against Wake. You know, Vandy's zero and three, searching for for answers at corner. Is CJ Taylor? an option there. I think, I mean, again, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, but these are some of the questions I think might have to be, to be asked and answered. If, if that, if that other corner spot still can't find any, any, any rhythm or consistency. So um, I think there's a lot, you saw a lot of shifting, right? Chris positionally, defensively, uh, you saw more of Mahoney at nickel. I don't think they want to have to do that. Luke, we talked about that after the game where they want to Ricky Wright and Mahoney to be the two safeties, right? They don't they don't want to have to push Mahoney back down to nickel as much as they did against Hawaii. Uh, but again, credit to Hawaii. They're a good team. And uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing them Friday night. I think it's Friday night against Stanford. It is. Okay. But yeah, that's uh, that's all the mailbag, Chris. Yeah, speaking of, of opponents past and, and future, don't forget, you watch Florida-Utah Thursday night, so you can get yes. a glimpse at one of Andy's opponents. I didn't realize that the Hawaii-Stanford game was Friday night, so thanks for letting me know to, to keep an eye on that. Um, also tomorrow night. I'm sorry? Wake Forest and Elon. Oh, okay. Good good to know. Uh, so we'll get a, our first glimpse at, at Vanderbilt's week three opponent, or uh, week two, week three for them. I hate this week zero thing. It's so confusing. but um, It is. Yeah. Anyway, guys, um, any parting thoughts as we put a bow on today's show? I'll start with you, Billy. Yeah, I I think we hit on most of it. Uh, I was trying to look through some of the players and and you know see if I didn't mention anything. Uh, I know we were you know we talked a lot about what they have to fix. We know they don't have to fix the receiver room. You know, Will Shepard uh, was was tremendous. I mean, he made a couple of catches look easy again. I mean, that catch in the end zone on the the soft short pass from Swan was, you know, that's not the easiest catch. We had a corner draped all over him. I think the next step for Shepard is not handing the ball to the corner and stepping over him and, and getting a penalty, right? I, I think that's – that you don't – you know, you're you're the best player on the field, right? You, you know, I don't – and Clark would say that as well. That's the next step for him. Uh, McGowan. You know the kick return first in uh, in nine years. I, I I couldn't believe hearing that. Darius Sims, you know, and and McGowan after the game watching the press conference, he mentioned that uh, him and Darius were talking about it the other day. And McGowan said, you know, he's been trash talking him about saying, "I'm I'm gonna get you on that record." So uh, happy for McGowan. Um, other than that, the defensive line. I don't know that we talked much about that. You know, no get no Darren Agu, no Christian James. Uh, they got to the quarterback occasionally. I think, you know, see a little bit more of that against Alabama A&M. Uh, I, th- I thought Clifton played pretty well. Don't think we saw Demarion Thomas. I uh, could be wrong there, though. Um, Devin Lee, I thought, played pretty well. He got another ticky-tack uh, penalty. There were some there were some extracurricular penalties from Vanderbilt that you just don't need, uh, especially, you know, th- a lot of those could cost you against an SEC team. So that's it for me, Chris. Again, clean it up penalty-wise, cornerback uh, play. Uh, but the positives and then AJ Swan, it's funny. We, we seem to never really talk about Swan much, but I don't think that's a bad thing for, for Vanderbilt fans. And, you know, there's some things to clean up, but overall I thought it was really good uh, from Swan. So that's what I've got. Uh, I'll be short and sweet. Uh, this week you'll get the blowout that everyone thought we would get against Hawaii. And then your reset. And for our biggest test coming up in two weeks with Wake Forest. All right, gentlemen, uh, we'll look forward to doing the post-game show. Hopefully no weather delays. Hopefully we can all get in there together. And here's the plan. The, the game kicks off at 6, so presuming it is lopsided, Billy will walk over to Chili's, probably get us set up to go 
If it's a three-hour game, what maybe around 9.15, he and Luke will talk. Joey and I will go to the post-game press conference. We'll head over and join you at Chili's afterwards. I encourage people, if, if you're watching, come join us at Chili's. Uh, we thank them for letting us have that space for free. That's managed by Brian Gruber, who was a former Commodore offensive lineman, people whose history goes back a couple decades with Vanderbilt football. We'll know that one. So thanks to Chili's. And, again, it's, it's going to look a lot different next week. Um, Hopefully, hopefully, thank, please don't give us another lightning delay. I hate those. So anyway, that's that's the plan. And as we're wrapping up, just a reminder, we are on season nine, year nine of this podcast, which I can't believe. This podcast has always been free. Uh, we plan to keep it free, but we the bills don't pay themselves around here. And so here's how you can help keep the podcast free. Uh, first of all, give the podcast a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That helps us get noticed. Um, the algorithm will, will tend to favor the ones with a lot of reviews and a lot of good reviews. So that gets us visibility. That gets us noticed by people who may be Vandy fans and don't even know about us. And, and if they don't, tell your friends. Um, if you are listening and you've not subscribed to VandySports.com, please do that. It is $99 a year, which is exactly what it cost when I started the website in January 2023. 2003 how many other things in your life have not gone up in price in almost 21 years i'm, I'm guessing that's zero uh you you can go to mcdonald's and spend 9.99 these days <laughs> in one trip by yourself so i i think that's that's a bargain 99 a year or you can pay monthly at 9.99 a month but if you are listening and have listened for a while and never subscribed to the website i encourage you to do that because again you will get things there that you don't get here, and, and that helps us out because, again, we've got bills to pay. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're putting our podcast up there this year. That is free. It's just a follow. And finally, if you're interested in sponsorship, give me an email at chrislee70 at gmail.com. Be happy to talk about that. We will have some donation options set up hopefully in the near future. And, oh, by the way, we've got a ticket auction in our war room every week for tickets. Mm. We have a, a generous – fan who has donated four seats literally right on the first row of the 50-yard line. So probably best seats in the house. We auction those off in the war room every week at Vandy Sports. Only condition is you've got to be a Vandy fan and no reselling of the tickets. Uh, what what the the donor does not want is is showing up and, and sitting next to four Georgia fans <laughs> for or whoever for a home <laughs> game. So respect that. But that's a way you can help the site too is the, the proceeds get donated to the site. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We'll catch you again. I think Billy's got the pregame episode coming out Thursday or Friday. That'll be the next one, followed by the postgame show Saturday night from Chili's. For Luke Wyatt, for Billy Derrick, I'm Chris Lee. We're Vandy Sports. Thanks for watching and listening, and we'll see you again soon.